Hello and welcome to Cooking Books with me, Jilly Smith. This week we're on a bit of a summer special when I'm in the hot seat for a change. Food writer B. Farrell is talking to me about my book, Taste and the TV Chef, which recently won a clutch of awards, including the International Impact Award. B is currently doing a PhD in the anthropology of food in the 21st century. Everyone. And, like me, is fascinated with the rituals and performances surrounding eating, regenerative gastronomy and food storytelling. She began by asking me why awards matter. So good morning, Jilly. It's so lovely to be with you today and find out some more things that you've been doing, but also reflect on your wonderful book, Taste and the TV Chef. Um, perhaps you, we can kick off with your uh, sort of thoughts and kind of celebration of your International Impact Book Award, plus the previous award that you have won for the, for the book. It's really lovely to, to be recognised for the work that you do. So you, that, that then you're recognised for being part of that conversation and changing the conversation is what I'm all about. Absolutely. And that's so powerful in your book. Um, and I, I wonder whether you could t- talk a little bit from that impact award that links in very well with how you talk in your book about media being a powerful way of having impact. Yeah, I mean, that is what it's all about. I started writing this back in 2010 or something when I was working at the University of Brighton and I was teaching journalism students, cross-platform journalism students, um, what television could do. And I'd written a book about Jamie Oliver by that time and the second edition of it, The the Man, the Food, the Revolution, was, was really powerful because it really went into the campaigns. And I just really wanted to... To, to show them what was possible. And so I talked to them a lot about how Jamie Oliver in particular had changed the whole conversation about food. Um, and and with such a revolution, you know, they could do something really important too. So I started doing more work about that. And that eventually turned into a book which looked at the the puppet masters, if you like, the director general of the of the BBC at the time, Mark Thompson, Jane Root, who was his right hand woman, and the first to commission independence, um, and Pat Llewellyn, you know, the the famous Pat Llewellyn who discovered Jamie Oliver, Gordon Ramsay. I mean, she was the architect of food on television, but it came from Mark and Jane. And they were unusually foodie in the 1980s and early 90s in television. You know, you remember what British food culture was like at that time? It was really dire. But they, for different reasons, and I do go into it in the book, they had discovered food and they realised that there was a delight to be had from food rather than just the education of the early Delia and, you know, all that sort of how to chop. They introduced chop and chat, you know, and they made food aspirational. I remember there was a wonderful bit of research that Jane Root uh, commissioned at the BBC, asking people what they most wanted in their kitchen. And she was just as amazed as everybody was to find that the answer was a sofa. And once you start thinking about why people want a sofa in the kitchen, you start thinking about British food television in a totally different way. And that is food is lifestyle. Food is entertainment. Food is feeding your friends, kind of showing off to your friends. So what you see on television isn't so much about how, it's why. And so I realised that was a really, really powerful message. Really powerful. And I wanted to look into that a lot more. So the whole book is, is really about the magic of lifestyle television. I mean, what a brilliant invention. And if we could understand that, 
what can we do to use that to save the planet? Wonderful. I love it. I love it. And what is so powerful in your book uh, is, is it's about storytellers. Storytelling is so key to bringing us together, to making change and, and many different sort of aspects of sort of reflecting on, on cultural change and um, political and so many different things that, you know, are on our plate every day. I wonder whether you have some particular people from your your book that you celebrate their storytelling skills I, I think that the storytellers are the commissioners and the producers um you know there's a wonderful story which actually people do know now um but pat Llewellyn told me way back for for the jamie book um back in the mid 2000s about how she created jamie you know jamie was cooking at the river cafe famously and she went along and she saw him cook and she thought that he had something so she was given money to to make a pilot and it didn't work. He was in his chef whites. He was talking in kitchen French. Um, whereas, you know, off camera, he'd been talking about his nan. And Pat Llewellyn had to phone Jane Root, who was her commissioning editor, and say, Jane, this isn't working. I'm really sorry, but I need to start again. And she told me how she and Jane Root told me how they both remembered that conversation. Um, and Jane said, okay, dump it it was sixty thousand pounds worth of telly money and she agreed to dumping it and starting again and what pat did was she got him out of his chef whites she talked to him behind the camera do you remember that posh pat and jamie the geezer mm. so she would say mm. what are you doing and he would say oh come on you know what that is bit of this bit of that and she took the camera off its tripod off its legs and so it had that kind of wobbly feel and instantly she got what Jamie was all about. I mean, Jamie had it and she saw it, but she was such a great producer that she was able to find that essence of Jamie that even he didn't know that he could do. Wonderful, and that's, yes. the, that's the secret of great storytelling. The stories are always there. Yeah. It's just the ability to tell them that I'm so interested in. Absolutely. It's very interesting from the storytelling of the kind of like there's the fantasy or the kind of make-believe, but then there are the storytellers that are aspirational, that give you a little taste of what could be and make it seem achievable, which there is bags of, you know, kind of examples in your book of that being the case. You know, it's not about the, as you mentioned, you know, so many cookbooks and not many cooks, but if you have a story and a storyteller that tells you a story of making change achievable, then then things do start to move, don't they? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's the key question, I think, in, in the book. It's about storytelling is absolutely magical and it does change the way that we see ourselves and therefore how we act out in our lives but there's also that problem of fetishization because what happened with the nigella kind of approach um is that you know and and jamie to us to a very large extent it was all about aspiration and problem with aspiration is it's not real and so there's a lot of fetishization around food ikea for example creating kitchens with you know sofas and bookshelves actually sort of built into ikea kitchens so people are buying lots more cookbooks and uh, books about food, but not cooking. Uh, cooking skills are not available in schools, not enough. Um, you know, whole generations are growing up unable to cook 
at home. People don't understand the relationship with food. We are so disconnected. So, you know, that's a very, very real element. You know, I started off by writing about the rise of obesity um, and the whole issue of climate change completely took over sort of halfway through while I was writing it. And so I switched focus. So we still need to understand how those stories work to a certain extent, but we need to do so much more. And there's a wonderful example that I use in the book of um, Ben Williamson, who is a campaigner. He was working at PETA at the time, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And he went on ITV's Take Me Out as the, the vegan you know he was an oddball back in 2015 you know he, he looks great and he's really entertaining and funny so of course he won but you know getting a vegan on mainstream saturday night telly is where television can really change the conversation people he was able to talk about veganism in a fun entertaining way and win the girl um you know it, it was it was brilliant way of using storytelling to actually make a difference and make people think and it was only about a year later that veganism suddenly became a really proper big thing i don't know how much that had to do with it but it was certainly part of the story you mentioned how wonderful the british culture is at storytelling and how it's very transferable and transportable and um, one particular example would be jamie and i wonder whether you could sort of give us a bit of inside information about this sort of Jamie story and how it was kind of uh, exported and, and what happened, for example, in Hungary uh, with the sort of Soviet reactions. It was one of the very early stories that I that I got way back in 2010, 2011. I met a TV producer in Hungary, in Budapest, who told me how um, he had created a copycat Jamie. Um, and the backstory was that he remembered his grandmother telling him stories of pre-Soviet Hungary, where food had been absolutely central to their culture. Uh, she used to, to tell him bedtime stories about cheese souffles. And he had no experience of this because, of course, when the Soviets came in, they ripped the heart out of Hungarian food culture because they said that food was bourgeois and that everybody should just eat really plain food and they made everyone eat the same food. They they rationed food. And what the Hungarian people lost was food memories, food connection, food, the love of food, the ability to sit around with the family, you know, cooking and, and sharing a very, very rich cultural heritage that came from you know, all the neighbouring countries as well. It was all completely flattened and made incredibly boring. But lots of people had obviously shared experiences with Marcel Lissac, who told me this story. So he created a, a television series absolutely copying Jamie Oliver. He got a lookalike Jamie Oliver. He had the same very informal chit chat, but it was the whispers of what had been before. So he was able to do this in the 2000s and it became a phenomenon. And very, very quickly, it was like popping a bubble and, and showing people what they had lost. And it was all there. The audiences went berserk for this. But also the books that came with the television shows, they literally copied the whole format that the BBC had done in the early 2000s with Jamie. And it worked phenomenally absolutely phenomenally and now hungary budapest particular has an amazing food culture again um but but it's spreading across the countryside of hungary as well there are st still lots of issues but the food from the land food from the soul has reminded people who they 
were and where they come from. And, you know, my job with cooking the books is very often to talk about food from the old country. I talk to so many people um, who come from different countries where exactly that happened. The the heart had been ripped out of their their culture um, or that they had left and they cook to find their way back to who they are. They might ring their mothers or their grandmothers and find their way back. Food has such a a resonance for people that it makes us who we are um uh, yeah and i found that absolutely fascinating Mm. and it was so so such a a deep 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 connection with food that it made me realize that that is the uh, the the reason why we have so many issues in this country is the lack of depth of connection Mm. fascinating i love that i mean it's identity and feeling of, of belonging and pride so the last section of your book is called are we there yet so are we no of course we're not and we need to change things very very quickly now climate change is going to be the next big emergency we, you know we've seen how as countries how we respond to government initiatives it's got to be a top-down approach now we're running out of time in terms of climate change um so no we're not there yet at all but i mean and your interest be particularly in instagram is is where i'm now looking i'm watching all these extraordinary yes. examples of people learning to cook through social media yeah absolutely it is a fascinating oral storytelling and um i wonder whether how that reflects some of the cookbook writers and chefs who have now moved into social media platforms well first of all there are far more of them and they are more diverse because television is still very white and and uh very undiverse um so you've got many many more and more international storytellers sharing what they love and their stories um but you've it's all based on that same thing aspiration and lifestyle it's exactly what jane root and mark thompson were talking about way back when it really works uh, people can't get enough of it. They want to be these people. These, I mean, most of the people who are influencers hate that term, but um, it's influence that we're interested in. And if we can harness that to really change the conversation, stop eating factory farmed food, live more in a more local way, support mm. the, the good guys, support the good farmers, eat less but better, uh, use the hashtag less but better, you know, we would really make an enormous difference absolutely and what i love about your book is that it's such a readable uh, a book that has such depth of all these different layers of how important it is to think about what we see on television what we see in social media what we read about and the chefs who are helping to make things change and you go right the way through to what's happening now which is accelerated through covid on how we love to see people making a difference. So I wondered what next, what next for you with your writing and your observing of what's happening with storytelling and the media and television and social media? I love finding people who are quite extraordinary and I I love giving them an opportunity to tell their stories. And I think that as a, that is kind of what I do. I, I, I'm, I'm the facilitator. I'm a journalist, ultimately. You know, I'm, I'm the person who gets other people to tell their stories and, and and that suits me down to the ground i do love writing and, and there will be masses more writing you know i've only just started really um but you know ultimately it's about finding amazing stories and 
getting the voices heard. And if that is best done through my writing voice, then I will do that. But most of the time I find putting a microphone under people's mouths and taking my listeners into their worlds and hearing that passion themselves in that very wonderful immersive way that podcasting can do is is good for me that that works for me right now it's it's a very dynamic way to to think about quite deep political emotional cultural issues that we have with food and it, it's an amazing in its accessibility so your podcasts are brilliant have you time to speak a little bit about the projects you are involved in Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I am so thrilled about this last week was I I got two different awards. One, the Guild of Food Writers Investigative Food Work Award, which was amazing because that really is an extraordinary validation from from my peers about the importance of that really good work. And that was for Right to Food, the podcast that I do for the Food Foundation. And the I work with young food ambassadors. Uh, these are young people who are mostly under the age of 20, and they've all have lived experience of food poverty and getting them to, uh, to narrate and to uh, interview people all via Zoom with me helping them um, has been just the most extraordinary experience. Uh, we had to do it via Zoom because we started just before lockdown. We don't need, I don't, I'd made half a podcast by the time we were locked down. And, you know, very quickly, COVID was starting to shine a light into the gaps in the food system. And so we we realised that this was something we had to do quite, quite quickly. We just had to find the technology. So, I did. And it's been really, really powerful. And to be able to find the people who are responding, the people who are building communities around food banks, who are just doing so much more than just doling out parcels, but really using the opportunity to to change the way we think about food and to bring people together and make them feel so much better about their, who they are through food has just been an astonishing opportunity. It's been really wonderful and there's plenty more um, to come with that. A big series that I'm just pitching at the moment to Food, food Foundation to do through Right to Food. So um, that's very, very exciting. It sounds absolutely wonderful and many, many thanks for sharing such enormous amount of work that you're doing and and sh- and be and opening up our eyes and taking our hand to lead us through some of the sort of stories we might not know but also some of the connections that it can take you to thanks for listening you can buy all the books featured on cooking the books by clicking on the bookshop tab at juliesmith.com and while you're there do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my news including the new supper clubs don't forget to rate and review the podcast on apple podcasts and i'll see you next week when we're staying with the theme of food influencers with former bbc good food magazine editor and president of the guild of food writers orlando murrin on his latest book two's company